Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. So we're on restoration of the heart. And I want to talk about restoration. Because it's what Jesus does. And restoration is about putting something back to how it was meant to be. I, I remember in the late 80s and early 90s, I was heavily into classic cars. And I had an MGB GT, for those of you who are old enough to remember those. And it was held together with filler. Uh, it had one or two particularly good features on mine um, to enable you to really uh, appreciate the countryside, and particularly the road that you were driving along. It had a feature where you could see the road. If you look down, there's a, there a nice feature just by the clutch pedal where you could see the road quite clearly, and that was quite nice. You, you had to be careful not to hit the floor too hard with your foot because the floor did move quite a bit, and you couldn't put anything in the boot because it didn't have a floor. Um, I'm going to give you that because I'm going to keep throwing it on the floor otherwise. Um, and it needed restoring. It needed restoring. My dad, uh, he bought an MGB Roadster. Uh, it was a 1966 car because that was the year that they got married and they wanted to have a car from the year they got married. How sad is that? <laughs> For the purposes of the tape, this is Nathan Ayrton. <laughs> In case my dad's listening. I think he might hear your voice. Uh, he might do, Yes. <laughs> Interesting you should say that, coming on to that in a minute. <laughs> and they had this thing, it had been used as a grain store in a farmer's barn for years, that's where they redeemed it from. And they had it, what's called a floor-up restoration job done on it. There was only one thing that was original when they'd finished, and that was the paperwork. You know, this thing was absolutely immaculate. It was restored back to its original condition. It looked like it had just come off the production line. It was stunning, absolutely beautiful. I mean, it cost more than it was worth. They couldn't sell it for what they'd spent on it. But that's what Jesus does. He will restore you back to how the original design was meant to be. And the cost to do that is immeasurable. It cost him everything. And he can't pay him back. What does the original state look like? Well, I want to suggest it looks like Eden. Right back at the beginning. God's original design was that mankind would walk with the Lord. Unhindered access to the God who created the universe. That should fill you with awe. Purity, innocence, trust, holiness. That's the original. And we often talk, don't we, about what was lost at Eden. What was lost at Eden was access into that place. But I want to talk this morning about something that was gained at Eden. Because what was gained at Eden was not good. Something was picked up. Something was picked in Eden. Something which Adam and Eve didn't need to have. They'd got everything. They had unfettered access to the Lord. 
They were in the presence. They lived in the presence. But they were deceived. And a lie, a subtle lie came in. Eve, by the way, was deceived. It was Adam that sinned. Remember that. God spoke to Adam and said, don't eat from that tree. Eve was deceived. Adam sinned. And they believed a deception. And the deception ripped apart their relationship with God. And it brought suspicion and mistrust into their relationships with one another because they believed a deception. One of the things that we saw at this conference was that around the world right now, there's a shaking and a sifting and a sorting going on in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back. And three of you believe it. He's coming back. But before he comes back, there is going to be an end times revival, the likes of which the world has never seen. There are increasing numbers of people who are believing for a one billion soul revival in the next few years. I say that's not enough. 23% of the world's population currently claim Jesus as Lord. Did you know that? There is a revival happening and you hear about the, the church in China where it's growing rapidly but the quickest growing church at the moment is Iran. The Spirit of God is moving around the world. He is reviving his church. He is preparing the bride of Christ for the soon return of the bridegroom. But if I was the bridegroom, I would not be interesting, interested in marrying a bride that was blemished and hadn't prepared herself for my wedding day. You imagine if you were a bridegroom and on your most important day of your life, your bride turns up and she hasn't even bothered having a wash and she stinks. And she hasn't bothered putting a nice dress on. And she hasn't bothered doing her hair. And she looks a state. How would you feel? See, the bridegroom is coming for his bride. But the bride is being prepared for the soon return of the bridegroom. There's a shaking happening. And what's happening is that the enemy sees it and he knows that the end is about to come. And if anyone tells you when the end is going to come, in love, slap them. Because they do not know. Even Jesus doesn't know. He said that. Only the Father knows. But we know that it's coming. Jesus said, learn to read the signs and get ready. And the signs are that he is coming. And what's happening around the church of Jesus Christ around the world is truth is being revealed. Truth is being revealed. And there's a sifting and a short sorting happening in the body of Christ around the world. And when everything gets shaken up, it is painful. And I'm hearing so many stories from around the world of churches 
where when they don't allow the Spirit of God to really get hold of them, the churches get ripped apart. But when they allow the Spirit of God to get hold of them, they get built up into the body of Christ. You see, what was picked up in Eden brought destruction. It brought separation. It separated people from God, but it also separated them from one another. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life in abundance, have it to the full, but the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he did in Eden. He slithered in, into the midst of that place of worship. Think about that. The serpent went into the holy presence of the Garden of Eden. And there, while they were worshipping God, they were in the presence. That's worship. That's where he sought to deceive them. And we believe the lies of the enemy that, oh gosh, this is a church. So everything anybody tells me here must be true. Every word I preach, take it, test it, weigh it, see if it's from God. And only accept that which you believe is from him. Your job, your job is to discern what is truth. You can stay on milk if you want to. But it's time for us to grow up. It is not my job. It is not my job to feed you every day. That's your job. Just as it's my job to feed upon the word of God every single day and feed my own soul. What was picked up in Eden needed to be lost. They picked up the the apple. What they'd picked up needed to be lost. That nature needed to be cut off. That which they'd taken hold of had to be cut off. This is how the Bible puts it. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6 says this. And the Lord your God, if we can get that up on the screen, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and that you will live. The Lord will circumcise your heart and that of your offspring. What a promise. So that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with your soul. We're talking about the restoration of the heart and the soul. We need to have our hearts circumcised. There needs to be a cutting off of anything that we have picked up and allowed to become part of our nature that isn't part of what God originally intended for us. What are the things that you've got in your life? that are not what God originally intended for you? Is there anything in your life that God didn't originally intend for you? By the way, the answer to that is yes, in case you're wondering. What is it? Cut it off. Think about circumcision for a moment. Circumcision is cutting something off. You would find it utterly weird if someone were to suggest that a man who has been circumcised should try and put the foreskin back on again. It's to be thrown away. You, You wouldn't go and be circumcised and then say, can I keep the foreskin, please? I want to have it in my pocket. 
I want to carry it around with me. I don't want to lose it. It's mine. You won't forget that analogy. Come on, guys, it's biblical. The Lord wants to circumcise your heart. If there's stuff that you've got in your life that needs to be cut off, don't try and keep hold of it. Why does he use such a graphic image? So that actually it gets to your heart. So that you understand how abhorrent it is to try and keep hold of something that should be cut off. It is abhorrent to God that when you've allowed something to be part of you and then you come to God and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for this. That's the circumcision of the heart. And he cuts it off from you. Every time you repent of your sin, every time you come to him and say, this attitude is wrong, this thing I've done is wrong, every time he is so full of grace. And he cuts it off. And then we take hold of it and say, I don't want to let go of it because it's part of who I am. And it grieves the heart of God. I want my old nature to be cut off. I don't want to hold on to it. It's about holiness. Because you see, when we're holy... The presence of God will be manifest, not only within us, but upon us. And that's what's going to change the world. Religion will never do it. Religion is what causes all the wars. Even studying the word of God won't do it. The Pharisees spent all their lives studying the word of God. All that that will do, all that studying the word of God will do, in isolation without the empowering and the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God who wrote it, all it will do is create more religion. It's about holiness. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Wow. He's given us everything we need for a godly life. How? Through our knowledge of him. The word for knowledge is an experiential knowledge. I've got lots of pieces of paper that tell me I know lots about this book. Pointless unless I know the author of the book. You've got to find your relationship with Jesus and make him everything. You've got to run to him, church. And when things go wrong, run back to him. You have to die to self. You've got to give it all to him. It is all about him. I have a revelation for you. It's not about you. None of this. It's not about you. I I really, you know, I don't care whether you like the songs or not. 
How many of them have got your name in them? Whose name is in all of them? It's not got my name in it. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. Do you know him? It's not a trick question. I mean, do you really know him? I mean, how do you know if you know him? How, how can you tell if you know someone? I want to suggest to you one of the primary ways of knowing if you really know someone is if you recognize their voice. You know, often after church, it can be quite busy in here, lots of chatting, and it's great. And children running around, and maybe the odd dog or two. It's great. But if Rachel is across the other side of the room and she calls my name, I recognize her voice instantly. My old mentor has uh, found his way home with the Lord now, but Ken, his name was, he used to say that uh, he could be upstairs in his study and his wife would be downstairs. And he said the one word that she would use, the word Ken, his name, would have so many different meanings. He said there were occasions when she'd say, Ken, and he knew that dinner was ready. He was down those stairs in a flash. There were other times where the tone of a voice suddenly reminded him that he hadn't done something and he knew he was in trouble. Still the same word, one word, Ken. And he said there was one that filled him with fear. He said the way she'd say it was just so filled with love. And he knew it was going to cost him money. <laughs> if you really know someone, you recognize their voice. If you don't put time in with Jesus, you literally will not know his voice. And you may have given your heart to Jesus hundreds of years ago. I gave my heart to the Lord on the 4th of July, 1980. It's a long time. It's 39 years ago. But for the first 10, 12, 13 years of that, I didn't know his voice. I gave my heart to Jesus. I believe I was saved. I believe had I died at some point in that period, I would have gone to heaven. I believed that. But I didn't know his voice. You have to put time in to recognize his voice. I want to know his voice so that he doesn't have to shout at me so loudly to get my attention. 1 Kings 19. Elijah went to Mount Horeb. In fear of his life, the man of God was being attacked by Jezebel, who, by the way, if you read on, you'll find out, where is it, Ezekiel 28, we're told that Jezebel is the daughter of Satan, the one who fell, read Ezekiel 28, 
the one who fell from grace, who fell from heaven. His daughter is called Jezebel. Jezebel was after the man of God, and she said to him, I'm going to kill you. That's a paraphrase. This time tomorrow, your life is going to be like one of those prophets of Baal that you've just put to death, she said to Elijah. This man who's just seen fire fall from heaven and consume everything. This man that's seen wonders and signs. This man who's been used mightily by God as a prophet to the nations. One word from the enemy fills him with fear and he runs for his life. And as he's running, the messenger of God comes, tells him to eat, sustains him for the journey ahead. And where does he end up? Mount Horeb. Another name for the mountain where Moses met the Lord. Where the presence of God was so tangible that when Moses came down from that encounter, his face shone with the radiant glory of God. That's where Elijah ran to. And he climbed up the mountain. He went up the mountain of the Lord. I want to go up the mountain of the Lord, don't you? But he wasn't content to just go up the mountain of the Lord. When he got to the top of the mountain, he found a cave. He went in the mountain of the Lord. He climbed the mountain and then he pressed in so much that he wanted the presence. He wanted to be in the presence of God. It wasn't enough to be near the presence. And so many people come to church and they want to be near the presence so they can go home and feel all lovely and fluffy on the inside. But I don't want to just be near the presence. I want to press in and be in the presence. I want to be in the glory. I want to live in the glory of God. And he knew the voice. Tells us in that story that the Lord was not in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire. Why would the writer expect God to be in those things? Because usually God was. Usually God does move in ways that are so dramatic and powerful that it shakes the earth. It's the church that's damped it down to make the Holy Spirit nothing more than a damp squib. We've domesticated God. Well, my God is not a domestic God. My God is all-powerful. The miracle when we meet with God is not that he shows up. The miracle is that we get to live through it. I don't want a God that's impotent. I don't want a God that just makes me feel like a ready back glow around me or something like that. I want to see the power of God. I want to see lives totally transformed that people can never be the same again because they've seen the glory of God. And Elijah knew this God. He knew that he moved in power. But when he was in the mountain of God, he was so close that he was able to recognize even the whisper of the Lord. That's how I want to recognize the voice of God. Such intimacy that I can get close enough that I hear even his gentle whisper. But you know, if you don't put time in, you will never recognize his presence. Let's read John chapter 10, first 10 verses. Words of Jesus, he's just been attacked by the Pharisees. He's been criticized. 
And this is what he says, I tell you the truth. A man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow the voice of a stranger. In fact, they will run because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. You see, knowledge about the word of God is no good unless you recognize God of the word. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Do you know what Jesus did after this? He, he was being attacked by religious people, questioning his authority, questioning who he was. And if you read down to John 10, verse 40, it says, Jesus then went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing. He went back to where it all started. When you get tough times, when the sifting and the shaking and the sorting comes your way, and it will, go back to where it started. When Jesus was baptized, he was making a declaration. And when he made a declaration, the heavens were ripped open over him. And there he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And there the voice of God spoke and said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How many of you remember the day you gave your heart to Jesus? Just raise your hand if that's you. Quite a number of you. Some of you have walked with the Lord so long you can't remember when it was, or some of you it was a journey and a process, and some of you don't yet know the Lord. That's absolutely fine. But for those of you who, like me, can remember the day, go back to that in your mind. Do you remember how you felt when you first really realized that Jesus was your Lord? For me, that was the most incredible experience I had ever had. Jesus went back to where it all started. He needed to go back and be reminded that despite all the opposition that was coming against him, he knew his identity. He knew his anointing. He knew his calling. And what happens immediately after that, John chapter 11? He raises Lazarus from the dead. That's not a coincidence. We are living in days where the enemy is trying to render the church of Jesus Christ impotent. And we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to basics. We need to go back to the beginning, that's Eden, where we cut off everything that we shouldn't be carrying. And we need to go back to basics because it is all about 
Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And we need to understand our identity. We need to understand that we are children of God. That you were bought at a price. Jesus really did die for you on that cross. It was your sin and my sin that put him on the cross. It was not nails that held him there. It was love for you. Jesus, one of the names for Jesus is the commander of the Lord of hosts. In other words, he is the one that has all of the authority over the entire angelic host. He had the authority whilst hanging on the cross to call upon the angels to come and rescue him. A couple of iron nails would never hold the king of kings in place. It was love for you. He really did die for your sin and my sin. He really did bleed out fully. He really did think of you on the cross. He really did endure the Father turning his face away. Because it says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And the Father cannot look in the face of sin. Jesus really did do that for us. And the Father really did turn his face away. And he's whipped, beaten, broken body, was taken down, and he really was dead. He really was put in a tomb. That stone really was placed in front of his body. And on the third day, on the third day, he really did rise again. Hallelujah! Hey, church, I know that we're in England. But come on. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because he's the only one that can restore your heart and your soul. He's the only one who has the right to cut off everything that does not honor God. He's the only one that can take you to that place of intimacy with the Father. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 says this. They heard the Lord walking in the garden. Have we got the NIV up here? They heard the sound of the Lord. The King James Version, which actually is more accurate on this particular verse, puts it like this. They heard the voice of the Lord. They heard the voice of the Lord walking. How does a voice walk? 
they heard the voice of the Lord walking. Well, the Hebrew word for the voice is the same word as the word for word. In other words, they heard the word of the Lord walking. Who is the word of the Lord? They heard Jesus walking in the garden. Jesus was there right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. It's always been about him. It's always been for him. All glory always is to him. And he is the one who restores us. He's purchased our redemption, our restoration. And I believe he said to us this morning, I stand at the door and knock. I'm waiting for an invitation. I believe he wants to walk into this room right now. I believe he wants to walk into this room and fill every single heart that is open. Some for the first time. Some for the millionth time. I wonder if the band could come back up, please. But you know, he might well be the one who breathed the universe into being. He might be the king of all kings. He might be the lord of all lords. He might be all powerful. He might be all glorious. He might be from everlasting to everlasting. He might be the rose of Sharon. He might be the bright and morning star. He might be the holy one of Israel. He might be the one that all creation speaks of. He might be the one that all scripture points to. But I tell you, he is waiting for an invitation from you. He will not come into your heart. He will not come into your life. He will not come and do anything without an invitation. He's waiting for an invitation. I'd like to pray a prayer because there may well be some people in this room that have never given their hearts to Jesus. And I say this to you. I'm not going to call you out I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything to identify yourself. This is a private moment between you and God. So please be at peace. I'm going to pray a prayer of asking Jesus to be the Lord. And if you would like to ask Jesus right now to be your Lord and Savior for the very first time, just add your own amen at the end of this prayer. Make it your own. Some of you have known the Lord, but you might be wanting to recommit your life. You might be saying, do you know what? I feel as if I'm so far away from him. You can pray as well. The rest of us, let's just be praying. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the Holy One of Israel. I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you are the only way to the Father. I believe you died and rose again. I believe that you, through your death and resurrection, are victorious over sin and sickness and death. And I believe that you're coming back again. 
and I want to be part of your family. I confess that I have made mistakes. I confess that I have done things that have dishonored you and I am truly sorry and I say, Lord, will you forgive me? And I ask that you would become my Lord and Savior. I give you my life right now. And as I give you my heart, I say, will you give me your heart? Come, fill me. And I pray that as you fill me, you'll anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that your presence would be upon me right now. And that you would guide me all the days of my life until that day when you come back again or you call me home. I am yours and you are mine for all of time. 